0: Welcome to Honest Money, your best guide to financial freedom. I'm Warren Ingram, the author of a few best-selling books, and I'm also an award-winning financial planner, and I've helped thousands of people on their journey to financial freedom. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I am here to share my experience and the best ideas that I've learned, and I hope these ideas help you on your journey to financial freedom. Welcome to Honest Money. We, we've got a, a, a great episode today. I'm very excited about this because we've got one of our, our listeners, Chantal LaRue, who uh who sent us a message to say uh she's she's been listening and she, she really enjoys the podcast, but uh but, but we're not really catering to, to the people in their 40s who are who are on their financial journey. So so I thought that was a a, a great reason to invite her onto the show and and punish her? I'm not not punish. I hope hopefully reward her question with with a, b- a bit more exposure to 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 what, what we talk about. And uh, and so, Chantelle, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Hi, Warren. Thanks so much for having me. I'm quite excited to have this discussion with you because it's the first time that money has kind of made sense to me. Money and investing. Before this, it's just been a lot of bubbles in my head. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you and learn a little bit more.
0: So Chantal, uh, you're you're in your early 40s and uh, and you've you've started on this financial journey uh, but but I thought it would be interesting for our listeners to just kind of understand your money journey so far and then from there we can kick off into into what your questions are and, and how we go forward.
1: Okay great. So I started working uh, at 19 and I you know knew a little bit that you needed to save for your retirement et cetera. So I Engaged the services of a financial advisor, spoke to him, but I mean, this is 20 something years ago and he was, he didn't give me any information. He said, you have to do this, this, and this, and then left me. And I never heard from him again. And um, I'd invested in unit trusts and I had a, a policy and a couple of years went by and I thought, well, let's see what my money's doing. And my money had halved. Obviously listening now, I should have probably left it for 10 years. I'd left it for about five years and that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Well, investing is clearly not the thing to do. Um, I've kept a retirement annuity going. So, you know, obviously when you move to corporate companies, they they assist with that. So after retrenchment, I haven't had any kind of retirement savings since. And now I'm a contract worker. So again, I don't have anything formal in place. So It's been a while since I've um, contributed to an RA. I do have paid up policies. So I've got a lump sum that's just sitting there. Um, And then it was a case of paying off my debts. Travel is probably the most important thing to me. So I travel as much as I can. And that obviously sometimes goes on my credit card. So I know the the case of pay off your debt first before you start saving, but (laughs) I, I want to travel. So COVID has at least helped, but I've got that RA sitting there and I want to do something proper with it. And where I can, I've been saving some money to put into a retirement once a year. I learned from your podcast as well. You only need to invest just before tax year end. Um, So I've got money that I'm putting into my home loan. I've got an access bond. But I, I want to know what to do with it. You know, is is a retirement annuity really the way to go? Is a pension the way to go? I know there's all sorts of rules that have changed, but I don't quite understand them. So I want to know what's the best way to put my lump sum to use and then hopefully every month be able to, to contribute to a, a retirement annuity at least. Um, and then, yeah, just to see if, if the way I'm saving my holiday money and my home loan and that kind of thing get a little bit of um, advice from you there.
0: Okay fantastic and and thanks so much for uh sharing your history because I think a lot of people might not have exactly the same history with money but certainly their journeys will have some of this you know they'll have some shared yeah. experience with you and I think uh l- l- let's hope we can help you and and lots of other people who are listening at the same time so I think a couple of comments just uh, you know you're you're touching on a um, a few issues in your in your history so the one is about bad financial advice. And I think, you know, you know, that's not unique to you. That's for sure. I mean, that's a, a kind of a common theme from a lot of people. So, so just, you know, just especially for people who are listening as well. I mean, I think one of the things to understand is that educating yourself about money, like, like you're doing, Chantal, makes all the sense in the world, even if you don't actually manage your money yourself, because it allows you firstly to ask the right questions uh, and then to decipher or not decipher, but let's say sift out, um, you know, the dodgy advisors from the good ones, because I mean, obviously, well, not obviously, but I guess I'm a little bit biased because I, I mean, this is my, my profession. And I think there are, I mean, you know, over decades now, I've met some great advisors who've made a huge difference to, to their clients. And I've met, uh, met many others that are awful and I wouldn't, uh, you know, I'd only send them to my worst enemies. Um, and so I think, you know, just, you know, when we go on this journey of money, I think sometimes using an expert, even if it's for specific things, as opposed to saying, you know, I don't need an advisor to help me all day, every day, but I need advice for particular issues. I, I, I would encourage people to do that. I think there are times, I mean, for example, tax, you know, I, I don't I do not do my tax returns. I don't understand the tax laws well enough to be able to, to make SARS happy. They audit me every year, irrespective of what I do. So I always make sure I get good advice you know wills and those kinds of things i always make sure i've got you know someone that's giving me uh, proper legal advice on that even though i might have studied the stuff I, I don't believe i'm an expert so so i think you know financial education is is critical because it does help you to take responsibility for your money but don't be scared from time to time to use the right uh, the right experts and if you've got the education that you you know the the financial education you quickly know who's telling you a story and who's actually out there to help you and and then, you know, I mean, that that experience of someone selling you a product and disappearing is awful. You know, I think, you know, for people who, who are in that position now, where if an advisor sold you something and they're earning a fee on your investments every year and, and they're not talking to you at least once a year, they're in breach. You can nail them and you probably should uh, because, uh, you know, regulations force advisors to review their clients' uh, investments once a year. And if they're not doing it, but they're still happy to take your money. Uh, as fees, then uh, th- then uh, my view is that's a, a kind of a form of theft, and and uh, you should take them out on that. So I, I know that's a strong view, but I think just uh, just for for people in this situation. So if we go to your first question on the RA, um, so so I I love retirement funds. Uh, there's always a but. So, so, so just as a principle, if someone says to me, you know, investing money in a retirement fund, whether it's a you know provident fund, if you if you're working with with an employer. A pension fund or a retirement annuity. If you're self-employed or a contractor, um, I think that they they offer a lot of advantages. The, the first big one is those, uh, you know, that that deduction that you get from SARS. In other words, you kind of get a gift from SARS, which is, you know, they'll they'll almost give you money back. And yes, it is your money. You you might have overpaid in tax on the on the one side, but you're you're getting a really really significant tax break for making a contribution to a saving for yourself. That you know, as a starting point. And I think that that's extremely valuable. The the second thing that a lot of people don't uh, realize is that the money you've got inside the RA, it doesn't attract any tax. So, when you've got the money growing in an RA, and and I think that's the first point, Chantal, it it can't be halving because then, you know, that's not helping you at all. But if it's growing, uh, it doesn't attract capital gains tax, it doesn't attract dividends tax or interest, uh, you know, tax on interest. So, there's no income tax. So, if you can get an investment to grow without uh, any kind of tax friction, any, you know that that's a very valuable uh, commodity as well. The, the the big but in in retirement funds to me is is one um, that the fees need to be appropriate. So if you're sitting at an insurance company um, RA where you know it's in some kind of a, an old school policy, and you know the advisor got some big upfront commissions, and 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 you've got this really like fixed term, the, the, the likelihood is that you're being charged quite a lot of fees. And and so, you know, the tax benefits that you're getting from the RA and the tax-free growth are probably being eroded by fees. And, and that's where RAs get a bad name. So it's actually not the legal structure of an RA that's wrong. It's just the the product developer, the company that sold it to you, they, they might be expensive and then you're getting drilled on fees. And that's just not fair. So, so I, I would say the first thing I would do if I were you is, is just understand what the fees are and and so the question to ask the the company is what is the the jargon is EAC the effective annual charge um, and and so that's insurance company language for what are all the fees that they' are charging you per year on on the on the investment okay. uh, and if it's over um, uh, well, well a lot of the time the insurance company fees will be kind of somewhere around 3% or 3.5% a year, and sometimes I've seen them as high as 4.5% a year, then you need to know that that's a heck of a fee. Now, your investments have to grow by that much before you actually start to get any kind of movement of capital growth, and then you have to get in another 4 or 5% just to beat inflation. So so fees are a critical point here. So, so if the fee on the RA is high, then the second thing to ask them is what is... Uh, what is the section 14 transfer value? So that's uh, that's kind of a mouthful, but section 14 transfer value, what, what you're asking them is, if you've, let's just say for argument's sake, you've got 100,000 rand in there and you don't want to cash the RAN. So I'm not saying you mustn't surrender it or cash it in. What you want to do is transfer it from an expensive product provider to a low cost product provider. Uh, the, the section 14 transfer value is saying if your investment is worth 100,000 rand, what are they actually what value will they actually transfer uh, to 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 the other product provider in other words what's the penalty going to be um, and that's a that's a key number to understand so so for for you you know if you're in your early 40s and and you then you know you've got at least until age 55 before you're going to access that money if the penalty is is less than 6% of the value of the RA in other words using that 100,000 if they're going to give you you know, 95,000 Rand um, of your money, and, and really that is the point, it is your money, but if they're going to give you 95,000 Rand as a Section 14 transfer value, then it's worth, it's worth making the, the, the move to a, a different uh, platform where the fees are much lower. Uh, because what you know is that, you know, you can, you know, through through a lot of the exchange traded fund uh, platforms, you know, we're, we're not here to punt products. So I don't, I don't want to name lots of names and give them free advertising. But if you look at, uh, you know, companies that do index tracking, for example, and offer an RA, and there are a few in the market, uh, you, know, you know, their fees might be k- kind of 0.8 to, you know, one and a half percent a year, you know, d- depending on the size of the investment. So, you know, to take your fee from, let's say, three and a half down to one and a half is a huge jump. Uh, so over another 10 or 15 years of saving, you, you can really make, a, you know, make up any penalty that the, that, that the insurance com- company is going to charge you if it's, as I say, 6% or less. Uh, and then, you know, you can kind of get ahead, you know, in, in the future as well, because you don't have to stop the RA at age 55. That's a choice. You, you, you will decide that. So um, I, I think that that's probably the first thing I would do with that RA is you, you want to know that the lump sum that you've got already is working as efficiently as possible. Uh, and, and then you can decide, uh, now uh, on a monthly basis to, to then add to that RA if you feel like it. So, so you've got two routes. I mean, as you pointed out in your question, you could either do a lump sum, you know, let's say late January or early February before the end of the tax year every year. So you might want to do that if your cash flow is a bit unpredictable, then you say, well, okay, I've got, I've got capital available. I'm going to put it in my RA now because I know I've got the money to, to, to save and, and invest, uh, If your income is a little bit more predictable, um, you might say, well, let me rather do X amount per month as a debit order. um, And then, you know, in in late January or early February, then just do a top up, you know, so so that, you know, you can decide one way or the other. But I would try and bulk that money up. So I wouldn't try and have three RAs all over the place. I would try and have one RA um, and then do the top ups to that RA. Because typically, a lot of the product providers charge you a decreasing fee based on the size of the investment. So, you know, if it's a smaller investment, you might pay one and a half percent, and then you know, if if the money gets bigger and bigger, they might drop that to you know one percent or to 0.8% eventually. So, so size counts with investments, uh, and and so that's why I don't really want to have lots of policies all over the place. So, I think the first point is don't shy away from the RA. I think it's a good, it's a good investment to, to to make, but you need to be in the right fee. If you're if you're you know if you're stuck in an old school RA. Um, where the fees are going to be ridiculous for you to move it, uh, th- then sure, now leave it there. You see, you, if, you, if it's already paid up, as you said, then you know, then start a new RA at a low cost, you um, know, provider. So at least you know the new money that you're going to save is not going to be eroded by fees. And then every two or three years, do a get a Section 14 quote on the old RA, just to find out because those penalties should be dropping the closer you get to, to age 55. So at some point, it will make sense for you to to consolidate. The one thing here is: uh, Do you take all the money you've got, the, the the money you've got for investments, and put it all into an RA, or do you do RA and, or is it RA all? You know, because uh, the one thing about money isn't there isn't only one way to do this. Uh, and, and so, the other two things that that you should consider would be: uh, What about a tax-free savings account? Because I think that's a to, to me a really exciting uh, investment to talk about. So I'll, I'll discuss that now. Uh, And and then the other thing is just having, um, you know, an accessible investment that's not locked into an RA or not in a tax free where you've got some restrictions, you know, where you say, well, it is my long term money, but if I do need it in five years time, because something goes wrong in life, um, you know, that's the first money I will will invest. It's not your emergency fund, it is a long term investment, but you might want to, to access it. So, Just quickly on tax-free savings, you get no tax breaks from SARS for making a contribution to your tax-free. So it's after-tax money. But again, uh, once the money is invested, it grows without any tax. So so it stays there. It it keeps growing. And then when you decide to draw the money one day, you get all of that growth tax-free. And and that's very attractive. The only thing is that um, you're only allowed to contribute 36,000 rand a year. You can't do more than that. Uh, and and then you you cannot draw money out and put it back into the investment, so um we were only allowed to put thirty six thousand rand a year subject to five hundred thousand rand in our lifetime. and so, let's say you make two hundred thousand rands worth of contributions over a few years and then you decide to draw hundred thousand rand out. You can't top that hundred thousand rand back you you've lost it so so to me, it should be viewed as a long term investment. It's not something that you just build up for you know a deposit on a house or a you know a car money or yes your, you know your Maldives trip when you decide to do that this is this is separate money this is the long term financial freedom money so so I, I tend to think that you know if I've got five thousand rand and I need to decide between an RA and a tax free, I'd split it equally. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't just put all the money into the RA or all the you know or, or three thousand rand into the tax free. I would probably do two and a half and two and a half, and and make sure that I'm getting the benefit of both. Uh, the one thing a lot of people will tell you about a retirement annuity is that you know those restrictions. Um, you know, where you're not allowed to access the money before age 55 is kind of a, uh, you know, p- people don't like that, that lack of access. And that's, that's a fair point. Uh, I, I think that's one concern. So, you know, if, if people are considering, um, you know, going abroad one day and and immigrating, you know, then that restriction on that retirement money is a, is a big issue. So I think it's just understanding what you want to do with your life and where you plan to spend your time. You know, if you're going to be in South Africa, and that's the plan, then uh, maximizing your retirement fund contributions and the tax free really makes a lot of sense to me.
1: You hear a lot about supply chains these days because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Warren, thank you so much. Um, you're helping give me a bit of a direction Yeah. Explain to me please the the RA. I've heard that you can't at the age of say 55 when I retire. I can't get that full lump sum. Apparently you get like a third of it as a lump sum and then you've got to reinvest the rest of the money. Yes. Is that correct?
0: So, yeah, 100%. So so if you want uh the, the law allows you to take a third of the value of the RA and and of that um one one third 500,000 rand is tax free. Okay. So so remember, um, because you've been given very significant tax benefits, putting the money into the investment, uh, th- there's always going to be tax somewhere along the line. And so what happens is um, you can decide, you can say, I want my one third as cash, or I'm happy to, to convert the whole amount that I've got invested in my RA into a, um, uh, either a living annuity or a life annuity. So, So what happens, let's just talk about a living annuity as an example. So- Let's say at retirement one day, you know, you, you decide to work until age sixty. You, you know, you don't need to access your money until then. You, then you say, "Well, okay, now I'm going to convert my RA to uh, a living annuity." You, you you do that conversion. There's no tax then if you're going to just transfer the whole amount, uh, and then you're allowed to draw between two and a half to 705 percent of that of the value of that investment as an income every year. So if you've got a million rand, you can draw. Two and a half percent of the million, up to seventeen and a half percent of that million every year as an income that gets paid to you monthly, quarterly, annually. You, you decide.
1: Sure. So, so that was the one thing that um, put me off an RA a little bit because I'm more the person that would prefer to get my full money out, and then I'm I'm really good at you know I don't spend it on unnecessary things but I would have preferred something where at 55 I get the, the full amount and then I do what I need to with it, maybe invest shorter term. So from the sounds of it, it's not really an option for me. I don't have a choice with those other two-thirds.
0: C- correct. But remember that, uh, that, that, that that's not a bad thing because the money that sits in the living in your tea, um, it, it it still attracts no tax. So you're mm-hmm. still getting growth. That money can grow for the rest of your life while you're drawing down on it. And you've got a lot of choice inside a living annuity because you can stay on a unit trust platform where you can say, I want uh, the moment you go from a, a retirement annuity to a living annuity, uh, the, the regulations are less. That means that you could have 100% of that living annuity in, ca- in cash. I wouldn't recommend that, but you can choose to do that. You could have 100% of it invested in shares. Again, uh, you know, for retirement money, I'm not sure I want to do that, but you've got the choice. Uh, and you can increase the offshore allocation inside the living annuity as well. So it's a hell of a flexible vehicle for people to, to, to invest their money um, after retirement and still be able to draw an income. So, so I think you've got a lot of choice there and a lot of control and, and lots of companies you know, providing a huge range of options. So, so the fact that you've got some restrictions, you know, be, be careful of, of, kind of kind of wiping out a whole vehicle in an, an investment vehicle because okay. there's some restrictions. The, the tax benefits are real you know, and, they're, and they're very significant.
1: And what happens if i die before i've i've depleted those funds do I, can i then send it to a beneficiary
0: exactly right so okay. so you on, on your application uh, you, you say this is the beneficiary and you can change that at any time while you're alive uh, and and the nice thing about that is that it goes to um it goes to that beneficiary without tax so you don't pay your estate doesn't pay um estate tax you don't, uh, there are no executor's fees. So it's, it, it, it's a very efficient um, estate planning tool as well. Um, but, you know, the primary purpose is there for you for your retirement. So so I think be careful. You, you, uh, I mean, uh, your you, your concerns are quite um, popular with people, you know, that they all have this issue around the restrictions. And I, I get it, but, but I think that, you know, it, that's why I'm saying it's maybe not one or the other. It's maybe a combination. And that might okay. be better for most of us.
1: No, thanks. You put my mind at ease because I, I learned about Section 14 in one of your previous podcasts. So I asked my advisor already to send me the the Section 14 details, which they have. And I said to them, I'm not doing anything until the end of the month because I wanted to talk to you first and figure out, you know, I I haven't looked at the, the fees yet, but at least I know I'll keep an RA um, based on your advice. So thank you for that. And the tax-free savings accounts, I've heard about that. So Tell me, Warren, I'm saving for holidays as much as I can. Right now, I'm putting it into my excess bond. Does it make sense to do that or to put it into a separate account?
0: No, I think an excess bond is a great idea. I think, uh, you know, if you look at the interest that you're paying on your bond, um, and I would say if you turn it on its head where you overpay, so you put extra money and you store it in there, then then that's you could almost view that as interest that you've saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you're paying, let's say you're normally paying 7% interest a year, and, and now you're getting 7% uh, by by putting extra money in, you're also getting it in, in a way tax free, right? Because if you put the money yeah. in a money market account or something, or a fixed deposit, uh, if you started earning interest on that, you might have to pay tax on that. And in the current environment, interest rates are probably only going to give you 3 or 4%. So if you're paying 7% and you can save having paid that 7%, uh, th- then I like that. Uh, I mean, you already know. I'm going to tell you, you should be paying off your bond as fast as possible. So, um, so, so as long as you're paying off the bond faster and putting uh, extra money in, then, then uh, for, for the holidays, then that's great. And and then just keep very careful track of of the holiday money that you're not drawing out too much, you know, because it's an access bond and it's easy to do.
1: Yeah. So, I'm um, actually even the the retirement money that I'm saving to make a, a bulk payment in Jan is also in my home loan. To- Bring it down. So I've got a spreadsheet that's color coded. (laughs) Even for my cat, (laughs) I've got a a monthly payment that goes in to cover any unforeseen vet expenses. So I've got a a vet um, or pet insurance, but I also put a little bit aside because it doesn't always cover everything. So I've got my spreadsheet that's showing exactly what's in my home loan. Uh, I've got an in case I die file so that everybody else knows what's happening with, with my home loan. So I try and keep it in there just to keep that interest as low as possible. But then obviously it'll come out when I can start traveling again and then when I make the lump sum.
0: Fantastic. Uh, I think we're running out of time, Chantel. So uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to make one more comment, which is, you know, um, in your when I die file or if I die file, let's say, rather make it optimistic uh, <laughs> um, just to make sure that you've got a current will. That's always a you know key yes. thing that people need to do. And that, uh, again, you've done the job of telling people where that is so that it's easy for them to find. So uh, one of the things that we we ask all our guests, as you know, you've, you've, you've heard the, the show before, Uh, is, um, given that you're in your early 40s, if you had to meet your 19-year-old self who's starting starting work, what would you tell your 19-year-old self now, having learned the life lessons that you've learned?
1: I would tell her that when she speaks to a financial advisor to ask more questions, and if she doesn't get the answers, to keep asking until she does. Because I think empowerment is so important. And in every other aspect of my life, that's what I've done. But money's just been something I haven't. And I wish I had because I think I would have been in a much better financial position now by just asking a few questions and not accepting somebody who just tells me that's the way it is.
0: I think it's power. and I mean, I think the one thing about money when you're talking to advisors of any description, whether it's, you know, accountants, uh, financial planners, anybody, there are no dumb questions, you need to feel free to ask whatever question you want, you can't be embarrassed about asking about your own money. So, um, you know, I think it's a, um, it's a fantastic point. Chantal Leroux, thanks so much for joining. And thanks so much for being brave enough to to talk to us about, about your affairs.
1: Uh, Thank you so much, Warren. I really enjoyed this and you've really given me some good direction. I appreciate it. Best of luck. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for listening to Honest Money. If you have any questions, you're welcome to reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Warren Ingram. Don't forget to subscribe. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Chat soon.